Football is back and so is the Ringer NFL show. Coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Oh, he's back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. Oh, God, I am back. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast, Ring RC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks man. How are you? Very well, thanks. Back in Berlin, back in the mix. How's it feel? It's good. It is good. But listen, here's um, a word of advice to anyone who ever goes traveling. Always tidy your flat before you leave, because when you return to like pristine flat, there's no better feeling. Such a sense of peace. Some previous trips, I've not always been so diligent and... Uh, yeah, it's not always ideal. So yeah, returning to a pristine flat is a good feeling. He's all grown up. Exactly. <laughs> that is great. Uh, good to hear, man. Uh, we hope everyone else is staying safe and well. Getting uh, vaccinated if you can, obviously. Getting that boost if you can. Yep, yep. Uh, let's do some admin super quick because we've got a lot to get through today. Yep. Right, his house returns this week. You and Mayoa are going to be on Right's house this week. Yep. We're going to save the all the FA Cup stuff and the AFCON stuff for Ray's house. So that'll go up on Wednesday on the Ring of Sea feed. Uh, other bits of admin, stadio.football, scroll to the bottom, sign up for our newsletter, which returns this week. Just pop your email address in. You should get a confirmation email to check your spam folder. That'll be back this week. Uh, also on the Ray's house tip, thanks to everyone who voted in the Pod Bible Awards. Ray's house got oh, that's so uh, cool. yeah. Sport and Leisure Podcast of the Year Award, which is lovely. How cool is that? Yeah, very in nice esteemed company as well. In yeah. esteemed company. Yeah, so thanks very much to everyone who voted for that. Right, it was super chuffed. Um, other bits of admin, Stadio Actress plays on Spotify. Uh, the ringer.com forward slash soccer. I had a piece go up on Friday about Freiburg. Um, it was something I, I teased a little while ago. I was meant to write ages ago when they were on that unbeaten run. But then um, I got some really lovely stuff from Derek Ray, for those who don't know, the ESPN Bundesliga commentator, uh, from our good friend Stefan Ersfeld. And also from Helga Thomas, who's, a, um, who's been going to watch Freiburg since the 80s. So I wanted to... F- kind of make do something a little bit different with it as opposed to what the idea for the original piece was and have something a little bit more evergreen so 
yeah, basically how Freiburg are, you know, the Bundesliga's pure heart. I'm going to embarrass you. It's an outstanding piece of writing. Thanks, man. There were two outstanding pieces of Bundesliga writing in the last week and a half, actually. Jacob Sweetman did a fantastic piece on Union Berlin. Or oh, Fischer. I've still not read that yet. That I've got is, it bookmarked. <laughs> Listen, Jacob Sweetman, I don't know if you listen to Stadio, that piece, or if you've got a friend who does, please pass it on. Jacob Sweetman's piece on Urs um, Fischer's tenure at Union Berlin. He does listen because he hitched us to it a while ago. He said he was going to do it. Yeah. Listen, that is, a, that is a, ser- <laughs> that's a serious piece of writing. But the Freiburg piece, brilliant, Ryan. I'm not just saying Thanks, that man. because I know you. I'm saying it because I read it very early in the morning, which is when I like to take in yeah. quality content. And it was yeah, <laughs> a great start to the day. Thanks, man. Very kind. Uh, have we got any more bits going up? Uh, I've got something coming up soon. Okay. About, about the sudden irreversible physical decline of players and how that's tragic. Mm. So I'm working on that at the moment. That's nice. coming. I think that is everything. Um, so today we're going to do a quick dart around some leagues because there was absolute chaos in Serie A. Mm. We'll talk a bit about the Bundesliga coming back because the Bundesliga came back this weekend and threw up some pretty interesting results. I actually think I cursed Freiburg. They drew on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, you probably, probably did, yeah. We'll talk about La Liga quickly, a couple of other bits, and then we're going to talk about Ed Woodward's departure from Manchester United because it came out a couple of days ago that he's got the confirmation date. He's leaving at the end of the month, I believe. Not sure how much we'll have to add to, the, to what's already been said about Ed Woodward, but I think we've not really done a big thing on, on that. So but maybe in part two, we'll do that. But yeah, we've got a lot to get through today. So let's get let's into it. it after this. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, man, should we start in Italy? Because Let's do it. I think the score lines catfish some of the games on the weekend. That's interesting. And that, can I sound really, this is sound terrible. If you'd said to me prior to this weekend that I would not watch Roma Juventus live. If, if you'd said to me 10 years ago, oh, Roma Juventus would be on live. And you, I, w- I didn't watch it live. I didn't watch it live. I was watching Skew. AFCON. And I've, yeah, I was watching other things. Oh, yeah, because, true. Because yeah. in terms of the importance, in terms of the importance of Roma Juventus as a fixture, particularly in the last couple of years, it has slipped. And I'm sorry to, <clears throat> I do apologize to Roma and Juventus fans. And I do genuinely apologise. Just the pressure points of this weekend to me felt more pertinent, sort of inter Lazio, really, if that makes sense. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, and it's funny because obviously you know Roma Juventus was a superb game of football, which I missed out on. Uh, but yeah, but you were going to say, sorry to throw that in there. Yeah, I was going to say that actually. I think the thing with Roma Juve was is more that you know there's a there's a bit of a buzz around Roma in terms of. Um, obviously because of the Mourinho factor and, and some of the players that they've got in there. Like they had, Ainsley Maitland-Niles made his debut. He's there on loan. Mm. Yeah. 
But yeah, three English three English players in the Roma starting eleven, which yeah. is just as an English person, it's quite enjoyable. But I Indeed. think because of the, you know, Mourinho's history with Inter and then when he went back to Juve as Manchester United manager and did the whole copping the ear. Yes, definitely. You know, there's a bit of spice there for sure. Oh, and the game itself yeah. I thought was was pretty wild. Whereas before we get into it, maybe like the other wild scoreline, if you looked at it, was Udinese 2, Atalanta 6. But watching this game, I don't know if you caught it, but it kind of felt like I was watching a preseason friendly. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was super weird. There was some like the last, the last three, maybe three Atalanta goals, were like. I'm, I'm not. This isn't a comment on the quality of the game. It's more the the vibe of the game. It was very much like the last five minutes of a Thursday night kickabout with some friends on half a full pitch. They've done that a couple of times this season. Atalanta, they've blown mm. teams away, and it's been almost like, it's so strange. It's been like, almost what I call a third gear thrashing. Where yeah, yeah. the goals are flying in, but you don't get the kind of the sense. I don't know if it's. <laughs> I don't know if Atlanta have imposed a sense of control, a controlled thrashing, but I have or controlled detonation. But I, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. The energy around an Atlanta thrashing this season has been different. Actually, mm. and they, they've done that a couple of times to the point where I'm like, this is a thing now, and maybe it's because the chief orchestrator of that attack is less chaotic now. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. One really impressive thing about Atlanta is the way they've managed the transition away from Elicic and Papa Gomez. Mm. That, is, that is an underrated part of what's been achieved at that club, I think. Yeah, because they were such an integral part of their creativity. And one thing I want to throw in there as well, because I nearly actually, I nearly, I was so excited by one particular goal, I nearly actually clipped it and sent it to Ian. When I saw it, it was um, Luis Muriel, the third Atlanta goal. Mm. is absolutely textbook. So it is a gorgeous, he takes the ball on the shoulder, he's one-on-one with the defender, crosses him over, goes inside and out and hammers in the bottom corner. And it's, it's, it's such a kind of, it's like, it's such a peak like Ian finish that I was like, mm. he, has, he has to see this. It's, it's a clinic. It's an absolute clinic. Yeah, a couple of goals for Lewis Muriel against his old side. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just, Atlanta, just a good value. Other quite noteworthy scoreline, not as thrilling, but, um, it was Sassuolo being Empoli, beating Empoli 5-1. Yeah, big result. Uh, Napoli beat Samp 1-0 and Milan beat Venezia 3-0 in Venice. Uh, as we mentioned, Inter beat Lazio 2-1. Um, disallowed Lataro Martinez goal. Actually, this oh my was goodness, a bit, the this pass. Was, this, this was a bit of a thread for the weekend. There were many, many goals given offside that were spiritually onside this weekend. Oh my goodness, yeah, like AFCON as well. In the AFCON. There was, mm-hmm. there's, an, there's an outstanding, um, so the pass by Alexis Sanchez for La Tomatina's finish, the whole goal was gorgeous. The, the pass, the finish was gorgeous. His shoulder was offside, basically. Spiritually onside. Spiritually onside, absolutely. Literally offside. Uh, um, there was a goal for Cameroon against Burkina Faso that was offside by a similar margin. Mm. But what I want to say about this game in particular, and it was slightly overshadowed by the quality of his goal, Alessandro Bastoni is a beautiful defender. Yeah. Like I caught, I actually, I caught, I did, I did catch this game live and the elegance of the touch, the elegance of the touch, the awareness, the balance, the passing. And he scored like a Tony Cruz type goal for the opener. Skriniar scored the winner actually um, after Immobile's equaliser. But Bastone, this is a defender to watch. I don't mean to watch as in new on the scene because Bastone is known about. I just mean in terms of the elegance of this footballer is really something. Man, I'm genuine. Yeah, I agree. 
a genuine pleasure to watch. But we've darted around it and there is a cobra that is in desperate need of attention. So we need to yes, go there. Let's do it. Let's because, do it. <laughs> uh, Roma Juve was a, a delight, a, a delightfully chaotic, hectic, spiky, but not too spiky game of football. Yeah. And there was an, am- <laughs> there's an amazing uh, image that they've used on the DAZN website. If you go back and watch, I caught as much of the game as I could. I missed a little bit, but I watched some of it back. And the image that they've used is, is just, I can't remember who's on the deck, but there's a Roma player on the deck. There's another one next to him. And there's just Mourinho looking down, kind of being like gesturing as if to be like, look what you've done to him. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. This game, luckily for me, I, I caught it when it was just about to ramp up. So I got the good stuff. I got the, I got the good stuff. It's kind of one of those like the same energy as like someone walking in late to a meeting because they were doing another meeting and then just being like, right, catch me up. <laughs> That's basically yeah. what the equivalent of life watching this game was. Like, like, like Don Draper in Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> when the meeting's in full flow. <laughs> Tammy gave Roma the lead. Paolo Dybala equalizing for Juve. It was a lovely goal, actually. That is a glorious strike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's funny because, yeah, he got the equaliser, but it's funny how Chiesa is so often the catalyst for a comeback, isn't it? Dude, I, Chiesa just strikes he's, me as like... Oh, it's a nightmare. I, I completely... You know, I think, I think he's one of those... Um, I think he's one of the strikers that defenders most complain about. Like if you search, if you just search on like, you know, sorry, our defenders, WhatsApp groups and search for the name Chiesa, it would be there the most often. Mm. You, you, it, Chiesa would be like, Chiesa, Chiesa by a long margin. Then you'd have like maybe sort of, Pellegrini would be in there and other people but they'd be just dotted around but oh that guy's really annoying like he's really annoying he's too good yeah, he's so yeah. busy he's so he's so busy he's amazing yeah uh, you mentioned him there Pelle- Lorenzo Pellegrini uh, Matthias De Ligt gave away a free kick on the edge of the box got booked Pellegrini stuck it straight in the top corner after Mkhitaryan's deflected goal regained the lead for Roma just after half time assisted by Pellegrini himself this free kick was unbelievable Pellegrini had a bit of a journey in this game assisted scored a wonderful free kick uh, Locatelli got Juve back into it a 3-2 um, before Kulisevsky equalised. There was a shout for offside and it took a little bit of a while on, on VAR, but I still can't really understand who was... Why? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I couldn't figure was, out exactly who it was. It might have been Quadrado, but the thing is, when I was watching it, they didn't really show the lines enough, so you couldn't really see if he was off or not. I, because he was the most advanced, I assume they were talking about him, if that makes sense. But they ended up going ahead. Dashilio got the goal that would ultimately be the winner. There was a handball given on Mateus Delict, which led to a Roma penalty. He was given a second yellow card, which I think is so it was so harsh. I thought. Um, I really, I, I don't know. I was thinking a lot about this this weekend, which is just not not what anyone really cares about, but about just how much I hate the handball law. Like I really hate it. Actually, I've realised this weekend I genuinely, genuinely hate it severely. Actually, I don't hate much, but I think I hate that. The handball law is what happens to play like Delit when he's down. And the problem with that is Delit's been on a journey pretty much his yeah. entire career at Juventus has been a journey. Actually, that is not a move that has worked out well. No, it's like when you have to go somewhere and change flights, and both flights are delayed, and you end up missing your connection, and then having to wait for another one. That's basically what oh, no. Delit's like. Oh my God, it's like flying through Cologne, basically. It's like flying through Cologne, basically. <laughs> something, something always goes wrong when I fly through Cologne. Anyway, Lorenzo Pellegrini had the penalty saved from Chesney. Um, at first, my gut reaction without a slow-mo was that Chesney came off his line, but I don't think he did. I tell you what, Pellegrini will not want to watch again. His own follow-up. I know. 
he should have scored the follow-up, actually. Mm-hmm. It was a very presentable opportunity. And I say that not out of disrespect. I say it out of respect for his own ability. That is, that is, that was quite a charitable bounce towards him, actually. It's mm-hmm. not often you see a save parried right back into a path and he skewed it wide. Maybe perhaps, you know, but the whole game was so chaotic, was so wild that maybe like at that point, you're not processing it completely efficiently. But um, yeah, that was a bad miss there. Bad miss in the follow-up. But a massive win for Juve, who Huge, were without yeah. Max Allegri on the touchline. Roma. It's the ninth defeat of the season in the league. Losing at home to Juve isn't really anything to cause panic. But if you look at the games that they've lost this season, you know, they lost the Derby, they lost to Juve away, they drew with Napoli at home, they lost to Milan at home, lost to Inter at home, but then they beat Atalanta 4-1 in Bergamo. That's the only one. That's the only one. Lose to Milan and San Siro, lose to Juve at home. So they've basically lost four games just to Juve and Milan alone this season. And this is a Juve who has been far from vintage. It's usually those kind of games that you'd expect Mourinho to ramp up a side like Roma in. They probably should have won this game. I just, uh, I just kind of, with games like this, I kind of just wonder when it gets that chaotic and then Roma don't come out on top anyway, I kind of wonder like, what is, what is the purpose of Mourinho being there? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because they've got some really good pieces there. You've seen like Tammy Abraham has been, I think, a really good signing for them. Maitland Niles, I think, is a really interesting signing on loan for them. Playing, he started at right back. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm into that. That is one where I'm kind of, to be honest, Roma in my always watch at the moment because you always find something interesting in the game. It feels it feels like something's, I don't know, on the horizon with Roma, good or bad. The quality is there. The pieces are there. Absolutely. And very very quickly, Renzo Insigne has agreed to join Toronto FC at the end of the season. which is a transfer that kind of, I'm not going to lie, it really surprised me. To start, it's an absolutely incredible signing for Toronto. It is incredible. It's incredible. It's, I mean, he's going to be, I believe, the highest paid player. And he's still quite young. Yeah. He's just in 30, right? So he's going to be the yeah. highest paid player in MLS history. But think about, can, can you think of a player who has been that good and it arrived at that stage of the career in, in MLS. I can't really. I, I can't, I, yeah, I can't, I can't actually. Insigne is legitimately, like legitimately could, you know, let's say with the exception of maybe a handful of teams that I won't name out of respect for the teams that aren't those handful. Mm. Insigne is a starting forward or starting for, for like pretty much, yeah for a top tier, top 10 clubs in the world. Like he's, he's, he's an outstanding player. Um, his resume speaks for itself. We can recap. I mean, he's not really won the biggest prizes with Napoli, but that's not his own fault. Um, couple of Coppa Italias on the Euros, starring role in those, in all those trophy wins. He's just in a, a, a Napoli, a legitimate Napoli legend, a legend. It's really, this is a man that stepped into the playmaking role he stepped into the shoes of, not, not the direct shoes of Diego Maradona, but in terms of the legacy and what he was meant to do and didn't buckle under the pressure. A local boy mm. didn't buckle under the pressure. That, that in itself is incredible. It's like a turbocharged Sebastian Giovinco kind of deal, who also went to Toronto. To arrive there with the World Cup in North America and, and, and Mexico, like 
four years away. For him to arrive there at this point is a perfect transition, actually. Mm. So the Italian, Italian American, Italian Canadian communities will lap this up. They will yeah, going to miss him up. in Europe, but this is an absolutely unbelievable signing for Toronto. It's incredible. Get yourselves down. Anyone living in Toronto, get yourself down to a home game if you can. Get a ticket. This man is absolutely box office. It's such a vibe. I tell you what, though, after the debacle, I'm wary of mentioning temperatures in Canada in the same sentence, but that transition yeah, so- from Naples to Toronto is not going to be an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> However, food-wise, not a bad move. Yeah, yeah. Well, Toronto is a place. I just think this is the thing as a lifestyle. Like, I mean, Toronto is a city that for several years I was pretty close to moving to actually, certainly considered for much of my twenties. And it just has that blend of so many, it's just gonna be such a great adventure slash experience, Mm. all the rest of it. And one thing as well about the signing is it really reminds you that players make lifestyle choices. It's easy to forget that there's so many intangibles to where it could move. Like Insigne will have had quite a few attractive offers, but actually what does he have to prove in Europe anymore? He's nothing to prove actually at this point. Yeah, it's just a very, very nice transfer, isn't it? Very much so, yeah, yeah. Let's go to Germany. Bundesliga came back this weekend. It opened with Bayern against Gladbach on Friday night. Not really an upset because Gladbach have got, the Bayern lineup was absolutely decimated with COVID cases and injury. So much so that Paul Vanner came on for Bayern in the second half to become their youngest ever Bundesliga player, aged 16 years and 15 days. That is wild. This young man was born on the 23rd of December, 2005. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's wild. That's wild. Bayern took the lead with Robert Lewandowski and you kind of thought, all right, here we go. The Bundesliga is back. Same as it ever was. Anyone else's goal, that's like any other striker, that's a top five finish. That doesn't even make his top 10 this season in terms of finishes. Like it's just, it's such a good goal, but it's just, it's routine for him at this point. It is routine. That was his 20th league goal of the season in his 18th appearance. It's ridiculous. Gladbach had other ideas and came from behind. Two goals in four minutes from Florian Neuhaus and Stefan Leiner. To go 2-1 up and that was it. The game was kind of done after half an hour. Not done, but it was, you know, it was obviously another hour to go, but that was it. There seems to be this thing whenever Bayern lose on Twitter that it's just this big, big shock. But Gladbach have played three games against Bayern this season and they haven't lost a single one. They drew against them on the opening fixture of the season at home, hammered them in the cup, yeah. And then they've beaten him in Munich. And to be fair, even, even Gladbach Twitter seemed surprised. <laughs> I think they were quite helped from having Marcel Sabitzer playing left back. Gladbach just yep. absolutely torched Bayern down, that, down Bayern's left. Yeah. And that was where yeah. most of their joy came from. Jonathan Harding tweeted after the game that he was very much looking forward to Eintracht Frankfurt beating Dortmund the following day. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> did they, they do they their best. They tried. <laughs> did they do their best. They got the memo. They nearly got the memo. Yeah. Jonathan Hart in the Bundesliga whisperer. They were 2-0 up in 25 minutes. Two goals from uh, Rafael Bora. And it looked, it looked very, very ominous. This looked like a Dortmund game that we have seen a million times before until Torgan Hazard came on. Five, six minutes later, got a goal back. Assist from Erling Haaland. Jude Bellingham's header equalised. With three minutes to go. His first headed a goal in the Bundesliga, which is a surprise given the man can jump. big lad. Yeah, the man can jump. Man's got hops. (laughs) The man man got hops. (laughs) And then Mo with a lovely goal a couple of minutes later to win the game. And uh, this was more of a kind of like, wasn't an angry goal because it was a caressed finish. 
His celebration was so, why am I doing this? I got in a big argument about Moda Hood. What? So yeah, I got in a big argument. So he scores this gorgeous goal. And um, of course, like a couple of Dortmund fans in my friendship group were like really celebrating. Another friend who's a Bielefeld fan who was feeling quite salty, I think, just for no particular reason. Well, Bielefeld season perhaps. And he was like, oh, Moda Hood, he's so disappointed. And I was like, he's a quality technician. He's always had the touch. He's always had the vision. He just needs the mentality. So we had a big row. And that was very exciting. I um, like Mo Dahoud, man. I miss his moustache. That's the only cri- real criticism I have of Mo yeah. Dahoud is that he should be Mo 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 Dahoud. That's what he should Mo'd, be. Mo'd. Beautiful player, though. He's a great. I, I love him. I think he's great. Yeah, I think yeah. he was great at Gladbach, and uh, he, he's had ups and downs at Dortmund. It really depends on, from what I've seen, that the various midfield configurations. Yes, that is the key to how you get the best Mo Dahoud. But I think Dortmund had a really interesting. They kind of lined up in an interesting way here with like Bellingham playing as the more of the base of this kind of diamond midfield. See, I think he thrives in a three, to be honest. I think yeah, he does. not fully, yeah. I think until, I think when you put, if you put him in a kind of, in a, in a three with the six there and him allowed to roam a bit more, I think he would come into his own. He also did all right when Dortmund switched to a three uh, and he was in there with Axel Witzel. This is a while ago yeah. now. But, um, but it's like we said before, the difference between playing in a two when you've got when you're surrounded by wingbacks and people doing more defensive work as opposed to being a little bit more exposed is massive. That's a, and that's a great point you make. I want to throw in a slightly maybe unfair or mean point, but just to highlight Marco Roy is coming back for, <laughs> basically ended up providing the assist for Eintracht's second goal. I know. He basically came back, he came back to help and ended up providing an assist. And you know what made me laugh about this, Ryan? It's a bit like at Christmas when like, <laughs> someone's work on the roast and you just wander into the kitchen oh help on the potatoes you end up like spilling the gravy everywhere yeah yeah or someone trying just to like, trying to yeah just like oh I'll help I, I, I'll, 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 I'll help but yeah I was watching Nomadland over Christmas and there's a bit in it where uh, a guy kind of takes a box out of the van and the bottom of it falls out and it's got this really <laughs> sentimental plate in it and he's just like shit I was just trying to help and so that, that was Marco <laughs> Royce <laughs> it was so it's funny like the intentions were good <laughs> Watching him in the box, I was like, we've all been there. Yeah, man. Hey, listen, Marco Royce was just a boy whose intentions were good. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Please don't let him be misunderstood. So good. Um, Domenico Tedesco's honeymoon period is back on as his Leipzig side beat Mainz 4-1. Mainz were down to 10 men after 20 minutes. So I think that kind of made Leipzig's job a little bit easier. Great result for Köln as well. Is it though? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that guy because Stefan Baumgart is doing a really good job. Um, yeah. Flat caps in football, they either work or they don't. It's like uh, it's part of me that kind of imagines John Hurt in a shop, just being like the flat cap chooses the wearer. Sometimes people go for the flat cap, but it doesn't work. See, Sinisim Mihailovic, he does too much with a flat cap. It's too extra. Bingo! It's too much. Obviously, of this parish, Mr. Wright. Ian's got his flat cap and it's just, you know, just playing the position. Stop sucking up to position. him. He's not going to listen. He might listen, but stop sucking well, up why, to him. You've got to leave the Easter, you've got to leave, you've got to leave, because I might ask him for something. So I've got to leave the Easter eggs in. <laughs> so when I make, when I make the ask, <laughs> we soften them up. Listen, it's the <laughs> completely <laughs> unnecessary flattery. <laughs> exactly. You've got to wear a flat cap for the self. You can't wear it for performance. That's the thing. Mm. Yeah, anyway, anyway Baumgart's flat cap powers are delivering let's say um, but, and Hertha have just been weird this season I mean we say I feel like I say this every year also though it's not going well for Florian Kofeld at Wolfsburg they lost 1-0 to Bochum 
Yeah, I think Wolfsburg are in trouble big time. Yeah, definitely. Let's quickly just wrap up La Liga. Villarreal and Atleti drew two all after a lovely long-range goal from Correa to open the scoring. Uh, and then there was a bit of a wild penalty to Hampball and Thomas Lamar, which Oblak saved, and then Danny Parejo followed up and rebounded, and it went in, and it was disallowed for Hampball, I believe. A strange game. Very strange. Kind of really a metaphor for a strange season from Atleti, really. Yeah, Condogbia, I think, summed up Atleti's season in a, in a, in a nutshell. We got a great equaliser and then got sent off. But the main <laughs> takeaway from this game, finish, finish two everything. all. The main game, the main thing from this game was why Ruli was wearing sky blue in the Villarreal goal. <laughs> why was he wearing sky blue? Like Atleti were literally playing in a light shade of blue. Why is the goalkeeper <laughs> wearing basically the same kit, kind of trying to hide in plain sight? It was, oh, it, was it really, it, it, it was really, really annoying. Bothered. It really bothered me. This was, do you know what? And I sat there through most of this game just with this kind of underlying sense of frustration that this was happening. But almost dread, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was horrible. Anyway, Real beat Valencia at the Bernabeu. It just felt like the most Real of Real victories. Um, two yeah. goals from Vinicius, two from Benzema. Um, the second, a really sharp turn and finish. I mean, it's just, just Real, being, Real doing Real things. Almost, uh, Luka Modric almost got a sensational strike. He has just been in this unbelievable vein of form. It's mm. just, this is legitimately someone who could play Probably like, you know, like second division at, well into his like late forties like, and, and be probably the best midfielder in that division just because of his awareness, his touch, his movement. Unbelievable. Um, and at this point, Real are playing almost from memory and Ancelotti mm. really enjoying himself in the league. So yeah, that's a great win for them. Uh, Barcelona won all against Granada. Um, I suppose the main headlines there, an assist for Dani Alves, a great assist for Luke de Jong. And Luke Dion doing that thing he did the last game for Barcelona in the La Liga, which is basically like go really, really close and then finally break through late in the game. Um, oh, the his first goal. goal was another spiritually onside, but literally offside. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was it Gavi? Yeah. Gavi was getting offside in the left, wide left position. That's right. Gavi, who then got a red card. So he had a journey. Gavi. Do you know what though? Uh, is, this, is this bad? The thing, <laughs> when he got sent off, I felt weirdly proud. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> it's just like, I'm glad we've got that out of the way. You need to, you need to experience that early on in your career, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I quite enjoyed Danny Alves going over to Robert Moreno at the beginning, giving him a good old welcome because obviously he was a, oh, that's a nice. Louis, Louis Enrique's assistant when Barcelona won the treble in 2015. But yeah, man, that's a good point for Granada. Yeah, it was. Very good. Oh, there was one thing to notice that Rel Betis had a couple of problems with the refereeing against Barakano and went to the extent of putting a tweet out about it. I about missed this. Like their, their, dis- their dissatisfaction. Yeah, I thought that was like, that wasn't a good look, actually. I think Colin Miller flagged it up and it was, I agree with him, actually. It was, it was not a good look. Um, mm. It's not good. Not referees, you know, official Twitter accounts coming out and criticising referees. Is, yeah, the admin know. doesn't need to. The admin doesn't. No, need no, to no. That's that's, that's that. that's that's yeah. It doesn't need to be stoked. On a much more positive note, um, on the Iberian Peninsula, are we going um, to Portugal? Yeah, I have to mention. Yes. I sent you the DM of this. Yes, yes. Sergio Conceição sends his son on as a late sub for Porto, who then gets a winner, and the pile on at the end is one of the most wholesome things 
I've seen in a long time. There's not a Stadio Award for most wholesome moments, but that rival, in terms of wholesomeness, it was almost as wholesome as Joao Felix hugging his brother, the ball boy, when he scores for Benfica. Oh yeah, for Benfica. It's like that. It was, it was in the same ballpark. The thing I loved about this was because uh, it won the game for Porto against Estoril. So it's his first senior goal for Porto in open play. He scored a, uh, he scored a penalty in the cup back in November. He's only 19. He's made a whole run of like sub appearances for Porto this season after being promoted from the B side. And the thing that I loved about it was that, well, first of all, there was a bit of confusion as to whether it went in because it hit the bar and then hit the, the kind of like the, the, the wiring at the bottom of the goal and kind of bounced straight out. Yeah. And there were a couple of people looking around like, did it go in? He runs off to celebrate and clearly has no idea what to do. Takes his shirt off, throws it in the air, runs around, starts looking for his dad. Amazing. And, and he's getting mauled and he's trying to kind of break out of it and goes to his dad. And it was just like, it was just really, it was just good. It's beautiful. It was just fun. It's beautiful, Although, yeah. what I love about Chico Contesao is that he's already wearing the number 10 shirt for Porto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very into that energy. So good. So good. That was a really good moment. Um, the Women's Super League came back this weekend and yeah, there, was yeah. some, there was a bit, a couple of big results. Yeah, for different reasons, yeah. Massive result for Man City against Brighton, winning 6-0. Kind of throw that out there. Maybe oh. it's slightly too late for the league, but there's only 10 games played. There's 12 more to play. A couple of slip-ups. And with the team that City put out, City put out a very good team against Brighton. They've got some players back now and that mm-hmm. is looking serious. That Brighton team is not clowns. That is not no. a clown side. And they handled them. So I'm interested now with what City do in the last 12 games of this season and where they end up because they should be looking to make a push for certainly for second, I would say. Um, not second, I think third. I think Chelsea will, will hold them at bay. I think they will, but I think they should go, I think they should go for it. I think they should go all in. Yeah, I mean, um, Chelsea have got their game against West Ham, I think. It's, I think they see their game against West Ham to play. Hmm. And they are a point ahead of Spurs. So if you assume that Chelsea are going to win that game, you're going to have Arsenal on 25 points, Chelsea on 24. So Man City will be eight points behind Chelsea, but only four behind Spurs, who are in third. I think third is definitely, a Champions League spot is not out of reach for City at the moment, especially putting down a marker like that, getting players back because they they have had some awful injuries this season. I still think they should have been doing better for the squad that they've had. We've said this numerous times on Stadio and on Wright's house. But, you know, Nice break, back, getting some players back. Yeah. Um, Arsenal were very, very poor, meanwhile, against Birmingham. They had, um, it was Birmingham's first, Birmingham started the day bottom of the table. It was their first win of the season. They beat Arsenal 2-0. It was Arsenal's first defeat of the season in the league. Uh, but I think that's three games in four in all competitions that Arsenal have lost now. They were not good at all. Um, it's a dreadful defeat. And he's got some stuff to figure out, Edouard, man, because... They can't afford to be dropping points like that in this league. You just can't. You have to put, you have to put everyone away who you can put away. Yeah. And Arsenal should be winning a game like that. All right, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. All right, man. So Ed Woodward has announced the date. End of the month. He's gone. From Manchester United. He's been chief executive there. Yeah. Yeah, since 2013-14? Mm, May 2013. Yeah. May 2013. During which time they have spent about the same as Manchester City. And I think it's fair to say the results on the pitch have been pretty divergent in that time. Um, he has doubled the revenue, the commercial revenue. Um, has he actually in that long? He has, he has. Wow. Now, I want to say one very quick thing. I think that his time at Manchester United has been a failure um, because I think the standards that you hold an executive at that level to go beyond mere financial return. I think also, yes, he has doubled revenue, but at the same time, that is extremely low-hanging fruit. Manchester United, after 20-odd years of Sir Alex Ferguson, is an extremely enticing commercial proposition, even with some of the low-quality fare we saw on the football pitch. And the, the interesting thing about Ed Woodward is, as critical as people have been of him, and rightly so, I think that a lot of criticism has been tempered by the fact that he is, personally speaking, quite charming, a well-mannered and a, in quotes, nice bloke. But I think also the handling of Ed Woodward is symptomatic of a wider problem with the way that we treat institutions in Britain, which is that you can go a long way just being quite polite and quite charming on a personal level, which I think is really dangerous. Like, I think he's a perfect example of someone who is quite clubbable, quite chummy. You might enjoy, like, he's the kind of person you might go and watch the golf with him and, oh, you know what, actually, it's quite a nice guy, Ed. You know, actually, I think people quite, should... quite funny away from the whole quite, I'm like, one of those yeah, exactly, guys. And, 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 ex, yeah. Exactly. But I think, I think, and here's a cynical part of me, I think he has traded on that extremely well because the frustrating thing about Manchester United, and it's not just Ed Woodward, it's, you could say it was, it was Richard Arnold as well, uh, the MD there. And there, there are people that, and, you know, Darren Fletcher, technical director as well. Manchester United is a... It's not a place where you should be learning on the job, right? It's a place where you should be fully accomplished and hit the ground running. You should be going, oh, let me figure this out. Like his skills were always commercial. If you'd just done commercial, this was always the argument, if you just did commercial, he could have delivered in that. He would have left eight years later and it would have been like, wow, he did a great job on the commercial side. Wonderful, best of luck, thumbs up. That would have been fine. The reason why his legacy will be tainted is because I believe that this became a vanity project, actually. And for all the talk, and I've read a lot about, oh yeah, he's a decent guy personally. Actually, no, I don't buy that because, Ryan, if you're not technically gifted in a particular role, and you know you're not delivering for eight years straight, you're not a nice person. You're a shameless person, actually. It's shamelessness. And the conversations about whether someone's personally this or that don't really cut it. For me, it's like, your specialist skill should be to look at what um, Ferran Soriano is doing at Manchester City, for example, and be like, that's, that's the gold, that's the gold standard, right? 
Um, and I suppose this is my frustration with the what's happened at Manchester United. The club has been treading water. And there's nothing, I'm, I'm a bit wary of what to say here because I'm not saying anything on this podcast I haven't said in previous episodes. It just really concerns me. Um, and this isn't specific to Woodward. It's a thing I've seen just more in sort of big institutions is shamelessness gets you a very long way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, man. What was it? The thing that Louis van Gaal said in 2014 about something about there being too much commercial stuff and how and not would, football men. Yeah. It's funny because I read that and people said, actually, he does know about football. I said, no, no, it's one thing knowing football trivia. It's one thing knowing who won FA Cups in which year. And it's another thing conducting detailed research or overseeing research and then knowing when to buy and sell a player. Well, let's put the numbers down, right? So obviously these are yeah. all in pounds. Since Ed Woodward has been in charge at Manchester United, let's say, let's stay in charge for short, under his watch in world football, the team with the highest net spend is Manchester City, 865.91 million pounds. But Manchester United's net spend, they're second, 854 million. They have a net spend of 11 million pounds less than Manchester City since Woodward came in. Was it, I think, a billion pounds spent gross on transfer fees under Ed Woodward? And some of the salaries as well. Some of the, some of the salaries shattered the wage structure. Yeah, to a side and a club that had won the league when he took over the season before. We give a lot of clubs around Europe a lot of shit. Most namely, you know, we gave Barcelona, we pulled them up on some horrific management of a club. Yeah. That just, it didn't need to be run like that. And I think Manchester United, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit wary of talking about Manchester United stuff too much on the behind the scenes stuff because it's not my club. And mm. there are people who cover Manchester United in great focus and detail who have written about this for a very, very long time and whose expertise are far greater than mine. Likewise, but also, yeah. Manchester United is one of the world's great football institutions. Mm. Maybe because it hasn't been so colossally dramatic as like Barcelona. I genuinely think that this is on par in terms of mismanagement to the Barcelona thing. Because Barcelona is a different case and it has, and I think it, even though it is one of the world's biggest clubs, there were still different factors at play. I think with Manchester United, the problem was that it was almost it was a different kind of mismanagement in that it was slow, mundane mismanagement. Yeah. I think it's harder to fix because you settle into a groove that becomes the norm. It's like gum decay. Yeah. How do you fix it? It's, it's, and it's so, or mold and mildew. You look at Old Trafford and Old Trafford, you know, gently crumbling and you're like, wow, this thing has fallen into disrepair over time. Mm. You framed it really well, the sort of, the gradual loss of, of aura, of standing. Thankfully, there's still the quality of player the club can attract because the club has that prestige. It's Manchester United. Yeah, and thankfully there are, you know, there are enough people within the institution of United who can bring in good players who've done smart things. I've said this before, in, in huge institutions, there are always some people that know exactly what they're doing. Um, you look at Arsenal, for example, even in Arsenal's most dysfunctional recent months, there have been people in and around the club, the transfer side, where you're like, you know what, that person knows exactly what they're up to, right? Just promote that person. Just on that note, actually, because I don't want yeah. anyone to accuse me of being biased and stuff. Arsenal are fourth on that net spend list. Right, right. It's behind PSG and ahead of Barcelona, ahead of Milan. You know, there is some, it's a wild list. And now obviously that that is down to what you said before. It's something you mentioned yeah. about when to sell players as well. 
I just think, I mean, I suppose what I'm saying here really is you should never, ever be in a position where people are coming in and saying, I'm learning on the job. It's Manchester United. Now, the reason I say this is because he made his name as a stellar investment banker at JP Morgan. And full respect to him in the sense that like, that was a skill that he mastered. You would not bring him at an elite level at JP Morgan and be like, oh, by the way, you're going to completely wing it in an unfamiliar role. You wouldn't do it because that's disrespectful to the field of investment banking. And the thing that I have, the frustration that I have, it's not even just specific to Woodward, it's wider than that. It's that if you told an investment banker how to do his job mm. and you had no expertise, they'd be offended rightly because they're like, this is such a, a, specific, a specific craft, it's a technical craft. And for eight years, people have had to take orders from somebody in football who doesn't have the craft of running a football club. And that must've been extremely difficult actually extremely difficult. And I think it, it is actually weird enough. It's to the credit of a lot of people at United. They've kind of made, made it work better than it should have done. Actually. Mm. I think they've made it, they've made it work better than it should have done. Like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did, you know, really quite a few good things at United, but he was still learning on the job. And if you look mm. at the quality, you look, it's the worst possible time. You could argue this, right there. You could argue that actually, Ryan, to be charitable, you could argue that there was a period in the Premier League where it was not a bad time to be a manager learning on the job. For example, like the Gian, uh, Gianluca Vialli years, for example, where there were a lot of managers who'd been players who kind of had, and they weren't the greatest coaches, but it was about something different about them. But at this point in the Premier League, right, it's the worst possible time, just as it's the worst possible time in the world to have a prime minister like Boris Johnson when we have so many complex social problems. It's the worst time in the Premier League to have a manager learning on the job because the Premier League has never had a better assortment of coaches at the elite level. It has got every single week, you've got all-time great coaches. Conte, Klopp, Guardiola, like these people are not slacking. And you have to be unified. You have to be unified at the CEO level. You have to have a, like a world, you've got to have a, look, look at City, they've got Ferran Soriano, Bergeris Stein, Guardiola. And it's not me trying to look envious. It's really about what the gold standard is. They put in a structure. I think that's the, that's the thing it's, when you've it's got... A stru- it's a structure. And I think this is the problem that Manchester United have had over the last, well, under Woodward. And maybe I'd frame the question, actually, because I think we've, you and I and everyone have, have spoken about Woodward. Well, the, everyone knows this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you, will his departure or will him, will Ed Woodward standing down change anything? Because Richard Arnold is coming in to replace him as chief executive. He's been there at the club since, what, 2007? On the commercial Mm. side, became the managing director and the kind of head of commercial stuff. So Richard Arnold is one of the people who have been mainly responsible for that increase in revenue. Is his promotion to CEO going to be enough to change the culture at Manchester United? Or or, or is is he someone who's going to be Obviously, there is a slightly different structure there to when Ed Woodward came in and where and how Ed Woodward has operated over many years at Manchester United. I don't think it will. Do you know why? Because here's the thing, and this is the key reason for me. I am sympathetic to the fact this is a dream job for Richard Arnold, as it was a dream job for Ed Woodward. The problem is this. You are not good enough at your dream job. That sounds really, really harsh, right? But I think it's this. It's like, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it was a dream job for him. And if you're offered a man, if you're offered that job, right? If you're offered that job, you kind of take it, right? You kind of take it because you never know. You might go on a run, you might get a good signing, you, you know, because it's, it's football and it's thrilling and who doesn't want that? And like, you see that with Ed Woodward, like he kept trying to make it work. And to his credit, there were a couple of signings that came through under his tenure that were really genuinely exciting. 
really exciting. I'm trying to sort of give that credit. You know, the signing of Angel Di Maria was extremely exciting. Some of the football Van Gaal played was exceptional until sort of February of that, that key year. Some great stuff in there. At the same time, at the same time, you're not good enough at your dream job. If you're, look at, look at Tomasic, the sovereign wealth fund in Singapore, right? You're, you're appointing someone to do the, the lead of investments and renewables at Tomasic. That person has to be the absolute gold standard. And if you've got 10 names on a piece of paper for that job, is Ed Woodward in the football equivalent or is Richard Arnold in the top equivalent? If you're saying, here are the 10 best chief execs to run this club, are, the, are either of those people in the top 10? I don't think they are. I, I think they're people that loved working in banking and then moved into football because they genuinely love football or they love you know, being in and around football. But the, the technical skill you need to do this, mm. it's a specialist skill that's to very few. And I just, I mean, I do have sympathy for Van Gaal when Van Gaal said that. When Van Gaal said that, like Van Gaal was at Ajax. He saw Van Gaal was at Ajax in 95 and he understood very clearly what a club could do which had less resources than like, let's say the richer clubs in Europe, because Ajax does not have the most resources, never really had compared to other European giants. And Van Gaal knew what a well-run club from back to front looked like. He knew it, he'd seen it, he'd lived in it, he'd worked in it. And so that's why I can sort of gauge his frustration because that is a frustration that Pep doesn't have to wake up with or Klopp Mm. or even Conte for that matter, you know? It's a bit of a weird analogy, but like you look at where Manchester City, Manchester City are now compared to where they started the the 2010s. Yeah, and you look at where Manchester United are now compared to when where they started at the beginning of the 2010s, mm. and it kind of reminds me a little bit of like I'm not saying anyone involved is a gangster, but you know those kind of like gangster movies where they're always in two parts, right? Mm. You always have where it started and the kind of and then all of a sudden we couldn't believe how much money we were making. And then we're going out and we've got the cars and we've got all this kind of stuff. And that has been very, very much Manchester City's trajectory in the, 2000, in the 2010s, you know? Right. Like Casino. De Niro and Casino in the desert. They are untouchable. Same like Narcos Mexico, right? It's just like, we're never going to be able to spend all this money. Right. Manchester United, in this very tenuous analogy, are kind of like the old school gangster who haven't moved with the times. Right. See, the thing about the old days, Musa, they're the old days. Yeah, like the wire. Exactly. It's like Marlo, Marlo and Avon. And here's the thing we haven't mentioned. You made a very good point there. We haven't mentioned the Glazer ownership just because we just always talk about the Glazer's ownership. But this is the, always going to be the irony of the Edward Wittenia. The Glazers could have had their cake and eaten it. They could have loaded debt on the club. If they just made better appointments on the footballing side, a lot of these arguments wouldn't be there. I don't think they're capable of doing that though. But this is the, no. this is, and this is where, as much as it loathes me to say, and I don't like comparing and contrasting football clubs so directly like this, but you know, I'm no fan of the cronky ownership of Arsenal Football Club. I think the way mm. that they've handled and conducted it has been really, really poor. I would rather prefer they weren't there. However, one thing that they have been fairly good at overall is letting the football people run the football stuff. Right. Yeah, they've got some stuff wrong. And I think also Ivan Gazidis was part of that problem. Mm. What you're starting to see now is at least a direction of travel. Yes, that's it. And we have said this, I forget how many times we said this on here, that sometimes the direction of travel is the most important thing to identify because 
at least fans and players and staff know exactly what they're buying into. Right, yeah. If Manchester United, for example, had come out however many years ago, post Alex Ferguson, and said, we are going to undergo a top-to-bottom restructuring, modernising of the football club. We are Manchester United. We have huge resources. However, football has changed. We need to restructure in order to future-proof Manchester United. So we're pushing for titles, not just in 10 years' time, but 20 years and 30 years' time. Right. If fans know that this is the case, they will take five years of not winning anything. They will. They will. They They will. will. And this is where I think a lot of people give fans maybe not enough credit. I think it's a communication issue, which is ironic that so many of these dudes come through media and corporate communications. Yeah, yeah. Identifying a plan and strategy and communication is, is supposed to be some of the things that these dudes are really, really good at on a like a multi-billion pound level. And that's why I'm being so critical because, and maybe I have, I have been harsh on this episode, but the reason I'm being so critical is because, look, my, my own mother is a doctor, right? And very often people come into her clinic and they've diagnosed themselves right. <laughs> yeah. People who have no medical expertise, they read a few medical journals and they come in and they think they have expertise. And this is kind of similar to what happened at United. People who you know, you can be, yeah, you can be like a football geek. Yes, you can read a lot. You can know your stats and whatever. It's very different to running a club. And I just feel sometimes it's like, with what has been done at United, it just reminds me of those people going to my mum's surgery and her clinic telling them and diagnosing themselves. And she's like, well, you haven't got that. Oh yeah, but doctor, no, you haven't. I've literally studied this. I've got a master's in it. This is what's happening. And I suppose that's my frustration. It's the lack of respect or expertise in running a football club. You can't just look at a big institution and go, oh, I quite like the look of that job. I'll do it. And I just, you know, to hell with the consequences. No, because football clubs are, they're not just cash cows. They're institutions. They're like, they're, they're for public health. They're for public good. You know, we've said all, all the stuff we've said before on various other podcast episodes, Ryan. And I'll leave it there because I don't want to sort of repeat myself too much. It's just that my frustration at, at the arrogance when there are so many steps that could have been done, so many simple steps that could have been taken. And the reason those simple steps haven't been taken is not because people haven't seen them. It's because they think they're too good for them. That's what it is. Do you think the 2020s will be more successful for Manchester United than the 2010s were? Bear in mind, we're already in 2022. Not on current evidence. The Ralph Rangnick um, appointment signing was impressive in that sense. I'm also concerned, well, he's only been there a short time, so I don't want to be too harsh. Um, I'm just concerned about the amount of changes he wants to make in the time he'll have available. I'm not sure it's enough. And I think there could be another period of turbulence ahead, actually. Yeah, I mean, the manager, um, his appointment as interim manager kind of is what it is. I'm not really, yeah. I wasn't sold on it. I think the consultancy thing is interesting, but I still wonder whether it's the kind of club that really fits for him. Yeah, I agree. I don't know, man. I don't, I, I don't know. Sorry if this is going to be really downbeat, but at the end of the day, though, you know, you've got some good, you've got a load of money and you can sign some amazing players. So, Exactly. There's a club beside Jaden Sancho. <sighs> Three years ago, if I was Manchester United manager on Football Manager, I'd be like, I signed Donny van der Beek, Jaden Sancho, with Pogba, and Raphael Varane, and, and Bruno Fernandes. Like, this team, you couldn't even hurt this team's feelings they're that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on true. Paper, it's true. You know? It's true. Oh, well. Is, have we been too downbeat on Manchester United? No, I think we've been honest. Okay. 
I think we've been honest. I think we've been very honest. Like, look, there's nothing, I've always said this a thousand times this podcast, nothing hurts me more in football than to see unfulfilled potential. Mm. It's, the, it's the saddest thing for me. And when I see players of that quality consistently underperforming, that's a structural problem at a certain point. Unfulfilled potential, man. That's how I felt doing this podcast. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm looking back at Moose and I'm like, he could be doing so much more. And yet he's doing a podcast with me. Don't start. Oh, don't you start how that. Disappointing. How I'm getting disappointing. out of here. Talk about I'm getting unfulfilled out. potential. Do you know what? Do you know, I'm, I'm t- I'm t- no, I'm turning off. I'm turning off my audio. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Uh, all right, everyone. Let's get out of here. Um, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Don't forget to check Ratty's House back on Wednesday. Stadia will be back on Thursday. Check theringer.com forward slash soccer. Go read my Freiburg piece if you like. Um, Stadio.football, scroll to the bottom, pop your email address in if you want to get our newsletter that returns this week. And Stadio Outros Playlist on Spotify. Search for Stadio Outros to play or, uh, to find the playlist of all the music we play on each episode. Speaking of which, play out this episode on Willie Griffin, where there's smoke, there's fire. Anything you want to add, Musa Kwonga? No, all good, all present correct. Lovely. All right, man. Well, uh, I'll see you Thursday and we'll see everyone else on Thursday. See you then. Well, there's smoke, there's fire. Well, there's smoke, there's fire. I'm burning for you. I need your love. We sit together like a hand in a glove. I know it's through your love. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. 
And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.